This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So I really try not to turn the show into just kind of a Twitter recap. I hate it when people are just constantly talking about whatever happened on Twitter. However, this week, something really important happened, something that could have far-reaching effects well outside of that social media site. And so I wanted to drill down into it. So for those who are not familiar, there's a hashtag trending on Twitter called Ban the ADL. The Anti-Defamation League is, of course, an organization that has a lot of power, wields a lot of influence, especially when it comes to censorship and media. And it's one that has had a big impact on what kind of content, especially conservative content, can appear on different sites, different places, be monetized, be present on things like YouTube or Twitter. And with this hashtag tr uh, trending, uh, Elon Musk brought up a lot of things about the way that the ADL might have influenced Twitter and possible actions he might be taking to uncover what's going on with the ADL. So to break all this down with me, I have Matthew Peterson on. He is the editor-in-chief over at The Blaze. Matthew, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy Absol Friday. Oh, no, absolutely, yeah. So we're uh, we're looking at, of course, uh, the action that that kind of uh, Elon's looking at, at taking with the ADL. Uh, one of the big complaints that he made once people started kind of having this hashtag, talking about the ADL's desire to ban a lot of people, to change terms of service, to influence who can be heard on the site. One of the things, the big thing that he focused on was the way that he believes that the Anti-Defamation League has interacted with Twitter's uh, advertisers. He said that there's a large amount of, you know, he, he contacted many of the advertisers after he took over, and many of them referenced the Anti-Defamation League's campaign against Twitter, even though Elon said there was no real change once he had taken over. They said there was a big increase on hate in the platform, and they were pushing against monetization, pushing against uh, advertisers to continue to support people on that platform. What do you think of that? What do you think about kind of kind of his approach? The angle he's taking specifically is the way that the ADL uh, approaches and influences advertisers on the website. This is really really important, and I'm 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 glad that you had me on to discuss this because what he's describing is where the rubber hits the road. And so, you know, everyone wants to talk kind of in these uh, generic political terms about censorship and people fighting back and forth. But the way in which this works economically, right, in our quote unquote free market uh, is, is that they do go to advertisers and they scare the hell out of these companies because they're almost a quasi uh, public institution at this point. I mean, so what happens is these nonprofits and the ADL is just one of them. Um, these organizations are held up as the arbiter of the standard, right? By which you tell whether something is racist or not or offensive or not. Uh, and they're increasingly colluding with the government, uh, we, as we can discuss, but, but they're held up as the standard by which you judge. 
And so when you go to the advertisers who, um, you know, who the companies themselves, the, the CEOs, the executive team may or may not be very political, but the people who are in marketing, who are supposed to be most sensitive to this, are usually uh, very much uh, inclined, shall we say, to be against Elon Musk already. And then the ADL comes to them and starts shouting and yelling and screaming about how terrible it is. And then the people in these companies in uh, who are receiving these messages go to their bosses and say, you know, this is very problematic because paid millions of dollars to a research firm and they say that we should be woke and people are very sensitive. Our audience, our consumers are very sensitive to this stuff. And, and you know, um, we've really tried to have an inclusive marketing campaign over the last three years and we spent millions of dollars doing that. And now the ADL is coming to us and they're saying that, uh, you know, Elon is, this is the hate speech is going up and, and we just can't do this. And they, they prevent, they present a very cohesive case. I, I call it an iron triangle, actually, like the research firms, the advertising agencies, and then the, the marketing execs within the companies. They're sort of all on the same team, right? And the research firms literally get paid millions of dollars to tell these companies that they should go woke, otherwise they'll go broke. Uh, and then and then the advertising agencies are, let's just say, uh, extremely one dimensional in terms of how they think about all this. Uh, and so so the the ADL comes in and, and they're like providing the objective standard. And so so what what Musk is going to is right at the, 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 the pain point. Right. Is like right where they're influencing the money and they have a tight control over this channel between uh, advertising and the rest of these corporations. Yeah, I, no, yeah, I think that's critical because, like you said, a lot of people like to talk about this kind of abstract free speech. You know, we're out there, we're fighting for the principle of free speech. But of course, as you pointed out in this quote unquote marketplace of ideas, you have this constant battle between access, right? Just because you can say something doesn't mean anyone can hear you. And when you have these critical choke points in all of these social media platforms, whether we like it or not, these places like Twitter, like Facebook, like YouTube have become the public square. They become the place where people regularly communicate, where people who otherwise would never interact with each other and would never run into each other constantly you know, discuss ideas. And so if you have access to this megaphone, you have a voice. And if you're denied it, then you just don't exist at all. It's amazing how quickly I think about some of the people like you know, like Alex Jones or Stefan Molyneux, who in many ways just disappeared as mm -hmm. soon as they were censored off of these platforms. People who had massive reach, massive ability to draw audiences were extremely popular. I mean, Jones is still somewhere in the public consciousness, mostly due to his uh, kind of bombastic style. But these people, for all intents and purposes, just kind of vanished from the public eye as soon as the hammers dropped on them. And a lot of people at that time said, hey, you know, it's fine because these are the most extreme guys. These guys are radical. They're out there saying all this really dangerous stuff. However, a lot of people also noticed this is gonna, this is the test case, right? This is gonna come eventually for everybody. And so, you know, just ignoring the fact that they, they can go to these advertisers, they can go to these choke points when it comes to uh, these different social media sites, uh, really makes it uh, very easy to limit the amount of speech anyone can have. And I, and I think the question most people would ask is, how does an organization like the ADL or other organizations like it, like, like uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, 
how did they become these arbiters? Did they don't just magically, you know, get elevated into these positions? What are they doing to set themselves up as kind of the default uh, voice? Because they get selected by things like Wikipedia, they get selected by places like Google. Uh, they're routinely used as sources by all of these major credentialing institutions. How did they establish that kind of power and leverage inside our system? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, one that unfortunately all Americans now have to deal with because again, they're quasi uh, official, you know, they're quasi public institutions at this point, almost. Um, they're used, they, they're, they collude with uh, the, the, the power of government often increasingly. Um, uh, just real quick before we go to that, though, your, your point was so important about, uh, you know, the flow of money and free speech. Just mm -hmm. one example that we should point out real quick is uh, Tucker. I mean, Tucker Carlson did not have the same amount of leverage he should have had at Fox News, even though he had consistently the most popular show, because that show did not directly generate the same amount of revenue uh, that other shows, I believe Hannity's show did. And the reason for that is very simple that the advertisers weren't there for his show, even though, according to free market neutral principles, of course, they would have been on the show with the most audience in the country. They boycotted that show. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so they were trying to uh, to monetize uh, Tucker through you know, what he's doing with Fox Nation and otherwise. But uh, it's not, uh, you know, not quite a secret what the advertisers did to him. And there you, you I mean, there's the most popular talk show host in America. Right. Uh, so so this is a very, very serious issue. How does ADL get there? I mean, it's a good question. I, I, there's probably better people uh, to answer it, frankly, like the entire history of this. But I think that key to it all is um, leveraging in normal Americans' minds um, the idea that, uh, of course, we are all against racism and that is the worst possible sin in American society, right? And so there's this fear uh, that, that grows in uh, post-World War II America uh, as, you know, just culturally as we, we sort of evolve and change in some ways. And people, Americans as a whole, basically say Jim Crow is a terrible thing and we're against this. And, you know, we want the Civil Rights Act because we want colorblind uh, laws, et cetera. And what ends up, what ends up happening is... Um, a, a real keen sense, not just in elite society, but but really in, in all the aspirational America that, you know, uh, we think that this uh, some of this racial is a really nasty thing. And, and, and we focus on a couple different aspects, right, that, that come out as, well, this is what racism is. And, uh, uh, you know, World War Two happens, people went and fought uh, the Nazis. And, uh, um, you know, the aftermath is, is looking at, you know, how did this happen? How did all these atrocities happen? And so in the American consciousness, there, there really is uh, almost no society. I mean, it's very few examples in history of societies that were so um, almost open and honest about this is, this is evil. This is bad. And we don't want to be like this, right? Uh, so it's very, very powerful cultural leverage in, in Americans' minds. And what, what grows out of this and, and becomes sort of monstrous is uh, organizations like the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, which take that notion, which is, you know, deep in everyone's mind and just use it to start 
beating an agenda that has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, and I, I think that's the simple explanation is how does this work? Well, it worked because people were afraid of being called racist because that was the worst thing you could be called. And that's the thing that would get you marginalized from society. And if you look right now, what are the two things that you can be called uh, that, you know, are the bad things that we need to attach bad people to, to get them out of elite society? Uh, you're racist or you're fascist. And so, you know, that's what you're going to, that's the worst possible thing, the worst possible sin. Uh, that's what you're going to call people who are your enemies. So being called these names or being, being labeled as a hate group by these groups, it meant something early on to everybody. And, and, and that, that is the real power that they had, which is real, right? Um, and so what happens over time is, and you see the entire, uh, you know, the entirety of elite society in America doing this, is they start to realize that's a real power. It's a power that, by the way, middle America gave them because middle America was afraid of being called these names. They saw these, um, these, uh, these kind of mental stances as evil. And, and so they, they've used that over the years. And now it's almost like uh, recognizable, like the thing that they've become, I think, um, because it, it almost has nothing to do with, I mean, racism is kind of a word they use, right? An empty phrase. It could be anything, you know, it could be any word. It could be an alien language you never heard of. It's just a word that means bad. And they are there to attack, uh, you know, anyone who is full of hate, which means, you know, uh, everyone I disagree with is Hitler. Yeah, they've turned into a magical word that can simply be imbued with whatever qualities they currently want to push against. And it really has no no tie to any given value or a given understanding. It's just whatever we can use to other our enemies and justify attacks against them. And I think it's pretty obvious, like you said, that this has become the continual operating uh, you know, mechanism by which these organizations work. Now, you mentioned this a couple of times, and I think it's really important, so we should probably stop to, to kind of think on this a second. You know, th these have become basically quasi-public organizations. These have become organizations that have more or less merged with the government. We know that the ADL... Uh, you know, trains the FBI on all kinds of things. We know that the SPLC is used as a reference point by different intelligence organizations and all of these things. We know that there there's constantly back and forth communication between these. And in many cases, it seems like the DNC can direct these organizations or these organizations can direct the DNC. So basically the ruling party of the United States is almost indistinguishable from these organizations, they're not really separate entities so much as, you know, different names for different bureaus of the same ruling party. And that becomes a really scary thing because it completely washes over this public-private distinction, right? This is a thing that conservatives often hold on to. Well, it's a private business. It can do what it wants, right? And so, you know, they say, they say it's, at the end of the day, Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, they're making their own decisions. And if they're informed by these other organizations, well, that's just part of the magic of democracy. But I think you and I know that that's that's not really what's happening here, and that these uh, that the government and these corporations and these uh, non-government inst institutions are all working fast and loose. They're able to run right past any kind of constitutional restriction on the power of government or the power of any other censorious institution because they can always just 
pass the ball off to the other branch whenever they're not supposed to do something. So if the government wants censorship, they just pass it over to the ADL or they pass it over to the media companies. And if the media companies or the ADL want something done, they can then start influencing the government. They just move power around and put it where they need it when they need it, rather than being restricted by anything that would exist inside the Bill of Rights. Yeah, I think that's an important point. For, for, to, there's a bunch of important points there, right? So, so one is it, it's very useful um, to what you could call the ruling class uh, right now. It's very useful for everything not to be inside the government. Uh, because, I mean, that looks bad, right? <laughs> I mean, it looks bad. Uh, you can always, there's always plausible deniability because you can always say, well, look, this wasn't enforced by, you know, some, uh, whatever, fascist, communist, wh whatever word you want to use, regime that forces speech and is, is censoring speech. The ADL made recommendations and it's a, it's a separate entity. It's a, you know, harmless nonprofit that tries to do good and is against hate. Who's not against hate? Uh, and it's against hate, and and the, the Twitter took its recommendations, and the advertisers took its recommendations, and it's an independent body, and uh, that has nothing to do with us, the government, who also, by the way, uh, was ensconced in Twitter uh, with former many so many former FBI agents. They had their own Slack thread, uh, the general counsels from the FBI covering up uh, speech. But you know, anyway, it's a separate entity, right? And and they do this all the time, so. So the problem is they're all they all agree on the same principles, and in the case of the ADL, they work together uh, in a very in a very close way. But what what it does is it gives it the the aura of neutrality, uh, and because it's a separate entity, and what people have to realize is these people are all working together. They all agree on the same principles, and they of the same organization. So uh, you know, journalism is this way too. By the way, there's. All kinds oh, yeah. of people work for SPLC, who work for uh, journalistic outfits, and uh, who are also tied to the intelligence community. And, and so you, you have to look at that and think about it and think, w w when has this just all become one thing? Like, I, I, I look at this in media all the time with certain publications, and I think, why don't they just work for Five Eyes? Like, why, why, why can't we just have, you know, just give it an agency name? And let it work for uh, you know the the actual uh, the actual powers that be. Anyway, uh, and I, I don't. This isn't conspiratorial. And what you have to realize is what you know. Oran just said. Look, you can see the collaboration. Uh, nonetheless, it's useful to them. So what the first thing that people have to do is is realize um, these people are all batting for the same team and they're all colluding together. And the genius of Elon or just the breath of fresh air. I don't know if it's genius. It's just saying the quiet part out loud is saying, you went to my advertisers, you destroyed the reputation, and you financially hurt my company with what I'm questioning is true at all, right? Because we somehow were more hateful now that I took over uh, rather than we were five seconds ago when we weren't as hateful. Says who? I just lost $22 billion, right? I mean, that's real. And, and that happens every day across this entire country to countless businesses because of what these people do. Yeah. And I think that's the really big thing, right? Is he is Elon made these assertions. He said, look, we know that they went to these advertisers. Uh, we've heard back from them. They've told us that, uh, you know, we, that uh, we might have lost as much as 60 percent of ad revenue during this time. Uh, he, he's making claims like it could be uh, four billion dollars in lost value. 
and he's talking about you know lawsuit and that's i think where people really perked up because it wasn't just complaining about this it wasn't just just uh you know empty words he's saying look there is there's an obvious uh effect on our income there's an obvious attempt to censor there's an obvious attempt to get us to implement certain policies and this is directly affecting the amount of money we're making and to be fair and you know to give elon his credit uh this is a very bold thing for him right because the adl it's not just another organization. You know, there are organizations like the SPLC here that do this, maybe even the NAACP. But the ADL, I mean, they specifically target anti-Semitism, right? They specifically put themselves up there as like the protectors of Jewish people. And so this is a very dangerous third rail for a lot of people to touch, which is why they usually run away from these organizations, right? Because they do not want to have any question about this they don't even want the 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 hint of this being brought out there Mm -hmm. and so it really takes a set of stones to put yourself in this situation because elon knows what he's going to get called he knows how he's going to be attacked he knows how how scary this can be and despite all of the heat that's going to come from uh, addressing this issue he's still stepping in there and that's where having a rogue elite like elon matters because he's got enough sway to even say to to people who wield large amounts of power I'm not going to be cowed by kind of these words, these threats, uh, you know, the, uh, these taboos. I'm going to look into this and we're, we're going to get the answers to this. We're going to go into discovery. We're going to unveil a lot of what's going on. And I think once people see this, they may not see your organization the same way as they, they did before we went into it. Yeah, that, that's what's amazing to me. What's amazing to me is Elon is doing what Republicans should have done, you know, for the last 30 years. 40 years, longer. I mean, you think about this. Think about how many CEOs were too scared to say anything like this to the ADL or the NAACP. When they, basically, this is racketeering in my mind. And I've said yeah. online, I, I would love, if I was in political office, I would hate to run for political office and for the most part, hate to be there. But I would love to do things like make sure uh, in an executive position that people go after them to prosecute I mean, under RICO, under racketeering. I mean, who? Fu- I'm curious about this right now. I mean, I, I, we we don't have all the resources yet uh, that that we're going to build here at Blaze, but to do more investigative. But we will. I mean, who funded this, right? If you're if you are a competitor of a company, and you want to destroy your competition, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I mean, wouldn't you make a contribution to ADL if you knew that maybe that they could uh, tweak up the, you know, the hate meter? and get rid of their advertisers? I mean, wouldn't that be the most obvious thing in the world uh, if you're going to try to destroy your competition? Who's funding them, right? Where does that money come from? How does it move? How does it flow? Uh, yeah, who, who's, who's all involved in this? What do the conversations sound like when they talk to the advertisers? I'm sure they have a nice little song and dance between them, but exactly what you're saying. You start to show this to people and everyone will recognize it for what it is, which is basically a protection racket and it always has been, 
based on the fact that Americans are so not racist that they're terrified of being called an anti-Semite and a racist, et cetera, so that you can leverage that to scare the hell out of people and threaten them. And uh, that's, you know, that, that's what, the whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, the, the entire premise that America is full of this, you know, rampant racism, one of those multi-ethnic, uh, you know, empires in the world uh, that's ever seen where you can pull off a protection racket like this uh, because people are so afraid of being called the name. And it, it, Elon is calling the bluff. And it's not only calling the bluff of the ADL. To me, it should shame, uh, you know, 20, 30 years of people on the right who just didn't have the stones you refer to to say this. Yeah, and that's the thing is, right, even if they can't find this stuff, they just manufacture it. That's the beauty, right? This is why I kind of tell, I always tell Republicans or people on the right, like, don't bother arguing over the definition of racism. You don't control it. <clears throat> you know, the, the ADL does, the SPLC does, you know, they, they go out and they declare, uh, you know, the okay sign, a hand sign, you know, okay as, as racist. They, they declare uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, uh, what else do they, oh yeah. Uh, opposing Antifa was a sign of anti-Semitism um of course uh and then saying it's okay to be white like these are all supposed to be somehow uh what you know all the numbers too like i can't keep yeah there's it. a lot of numerology there's yeah there's there's like 93 like there's there's they it's funny because if you go there's a they have a hate database and if you go to the hate database the, like basically every number is hate <laughs> like, like every numeral that exists every combination of numerals is itself a hate sequence and so then you have to wonder like okay if, if, if you could just label everything in the world, like the very existence of people, any of the normal hand signs they might use, any opposition to terrorist organizations, any numbers, if all of these are indications of anti-Semitism, then really what you're just saying is basically everyone is guilty all the time. And so we just, it's like the IRS, right? Like everyone has probably messed up their taxes. And so really all the IRS is, is a hammer that the government can drop on anybody. And this is like true of the ADL, right? They've declared everything racist, everything anti-Semitic. And so everyone is guilty. The only question is, are we going to focus you on you today? Are we going to put you in the pain box? And when will you give up so that we can collect our due? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very true point. And, uh, you know, I first kind of saw that um, not in relation to these issues, but just in relation to normal political corruption, um, you know, and, and how, uh, you know, if you want to build um, real estate, say, in a large American city, uh, in a lot of the large American cities, uh, or if you, um, uh, you know, when you want to get a trash contract <laughs> from, uh, from uh, uh, a city within one of the big metroplexes, let's just say that, you know, uh, what has been normalized is is not what uh, kind of hilariously most Americans think of. I mean, it's 1930s Chicago all the time. And that means that the only people getting in trouble for corruption are the people who the powerful have decided to mark out, as you described, for destruction. So you know that powerful factions are fighting when there's an article in you know a city paper about how so-and-so got busted because they were giving money to, you know, to, to, to build buildings. And it's like, well, everyone's given money to build buildings. Like you don't make, get buildings done without greasing wheels in a large American city. What happened here? Is someone really sloppy? Does someone have enemies? Is there a turf war going on? Right. You, so in, in other words, like, yeah, all have fallen short. <laughs> and it, 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 it shocks me. 
it shocks me with other things too, like in DC, when it comes to, you know, uh, so-and-so didn't file his TPS report to, uh, to work with foreign actors, uh, you know, as a lobbyist. And uh, you're, you're sitting around and this, the entire town is doing these things, like in our Ukraine, like they're all taking money in the same way. But who gets in trouble as you decide? Oh, we need a we need a snazzy name for this point. We need we need some like Anton to come up with, uh, or you you could do it too. Come up with a snazzy name for this principle. But the but the principle is I, very true. I You're think we called it a narco tyranny. <laughs> that's, the, that's the proper that's the proper uh, understanding. Yeah, of it. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 yeah no I I think that's really important for people to understand is this constant state of everyone is in violation and it's only the you know it, basically you are all already sinners you are already doomed to hell and it's only by God's grace you know but in this case it's the ADL that's declared itself God right and so they get to withhold the wrath or they get to focus the wrath but everyone is inherently guilty and so that, that that's never a question you're you're always someone who's going to be destroyed so. One of the interesting things that I think has happened here is a shift in monetization. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds of like content creation, but it is relevant for what we're talking about here. For people who don't know, obviously, advertisers are very, very skittish when it comes to this stuff. Like you said, they're very, they're very sensitive to stuff, especially in their marketing departments. They hear wind of this stuff and they just kind of fold up and, and fly away which is why conservatives have had such a hard time getting access, right? They have such a hard time getting their message out. Liberals get to do it automatically. They don't have to worry about it. No one's no one's getting pushed off the platform for being too communist, right? Like no, no one cares. You can say whatever you want. You can get as radical as you want on the left wing. You'll still get all the major advertisers. MSNBC is going to get every advertiser they ever wanted. They never have to worry about this stuff. Platforms like The Blaze, which are larger than kind of maybe the average person's, they still have to worry about this. They still have to worry about, uh, you know, they have to secure uh, advertisers basically with certain, you know, they agree with certain things. They have to go kind of out of their way to do this. And then people who are subject to even the smaller stuff like on YouTube or Twitter, they get even less representation, right? They're just like completely thrown to the wolves on this stuff. And so monetization is a great way to limit what content gets made because even if people want to make important uh, videos they want to talk about important things knowing they're not going to get paid for it even if people are like super passionate about it it's just going to limit who's going to do it and how much attention it's going to get that's just the natural case so i think a big shift that happened here was twitter started monetizing its content and paying its creators and in a lot of ways that's good right like people who weren't getting money for this can can start getting money for this but on another way it opens up another avenue of control right because now the advertisers have more influence directly on posting, directly on threads, directly on what's getting produced and put onto the platform because there's always this chain that's now being linked to you. Oh, the advertisers could pull their money. They could pull their money. And all of a sudden, everyone is skittish about what they're doing with that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I think the, um, the monetization that happened on Twitter is not like everyone's uh, getting wealthy uh, right away or anything, but right. but it is the case that I think the principle was was really powerful. So the first reaction that you saw, I thought was um, because it, because I mean part of it is just people trying to justify the amount of time they waste on Twitter, uh, sure. including myself. Uh, but uh, so that's gratifying. Well, I, I'm making money. The best tweet I saw was someone saying, "My wife." finally saw my monetization check and is filing for divorce. 
Um, but but uh, I think I think the principle of it was meaningful to people because they could just see what could be. In other words, you know, we could be monetizing, God forbid, the individual creator, which has been, by the way, the holy grail of digital technology for a long time. It's like, how do you actually allow people to rise in a free marketplace, free-ish marketplace, where they actually get rewarded for what they do? Because right now, uh, you know, the classic tale of, of Hollywood is, a tale as all this time is, that the creator gets used and abused by the business people uh, who take all the money and, uh, uh, you know, they don't have access to uh, to get their word out, to get their stuff out, to get their art out. So, so I mean, the, the holy grail of the Internet is kind of like, how do we individually, uh, you know, incentivize these people like you're saying? So I, I think there's a lot of promise to that. At least the principle was was out there when Elon started to do that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the jury is way out on on what exactly happens because uh, if it's still based on advertising dollars, advertising has become really a chokehold in a pipeline uh, of information and entertainment. And so they they realize that this is this is where the rubber hits the road because this is what actually pays for the deal. So if we can control that, right? Ideologically, uh, we will win. And, and that's what they've done. And so, I mean, I, I think about this all the time and, uh, you know, the best I could come to, I'll just reveal like my secret plan, you know, online right now. Um, one of the things that best I could come to would be the, the best thing to do would be for the right is to have a nonprofit that reveals all the worst of the ADL. Some of these people are awful. Like, I mean, reveal the, the worst of what these organizations do, of what they think, of how they think about half the country. Uh, you want to talk about hate? Yeah, well, let's find out. And, and then go to the advertising agencies the same way. Advertising agencies are owned by these large conglomerates. A few of them own like a bunch of the scene. And that's where, you know, your literal pedo Satanists were not too long ago, right? With a very strange ad ref clearly referencing, uh, you know, pedophilia throughout it. I mean, very, I mean, th this is where very strange stuff goes on. And these people are radical. They're all lunatics when it comes to politics. Um, and so, which is, in a way, I don't even care. Like artists can be lunatics, but don't, don't interrupt the pipeline of free speech. So these people are, are colluding, right? So what you need to do is a nonprofit that reveals all this and then says, Hey, uh, fast food company that I won't name. That's supposed to be conservative. Why do you give a $50 million contract annually to this company? I can't do anything about the fact that this nonprofit, <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. That this nonprofit out here is going to reveal, right, uh, what these people are. You're giving millions of dollars to people who hate you, hate what you for, hate your consumer, to take pictures of hamburgers or chicken burgers or whatever it might be, <laughs> and 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 that's that that's what you're doing. You're giving money to these people, right? In other words, to reverse this, there needs to be pressure applied in 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 the in the other direction. Um, and, and that's that's what I've come to, because I don't, I don't really see how to eradicate this unless you and then you have to say, if you're a CEO who's going to hire a blue haired liberal arts grad as your CMO and then turn around and complain to me about the market and how you have to go woke, you're an idiot. Or worse, to, in terms of your customers, your loyal base, you're, you're either a moron or you're a traitor to them and you're just here to make money and get out and, and they should hate you, too.
Yeah, I mean, where is the Republican media matters, right? Like, where are these where are these conservative SPLCs? Where where are these people who are documenting this stuff, dr- drilling in? This work is so undone that it's interesting. Like, even just a proto version of this would be something like Libs of TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. Libs of TikTok is just taking the words of people, putting them back online, doing very little investigative you know, reporting or anything, just kind of recycling this stuff and collecting it in one place and applying just the smallest amount of pressure and you could have people who do this i mean and that's just somebody who is just doing it in their spare time on twitter you could have people who do this in in a much more professional way lining this kind of stuff up and preparing it and i think like you said that that that's gonna reveal a whole lot of stuff that people don't want to which was i think part of the threat of this lawsuit right because Mm -hmm. if you start threatening the adl with a lawsuit and you say we're going to discovery how many how many connections to the American government are you going to find? How many connections to foreign governments are you going to find? How many how many people who are funding all kinds of other really shady stuff, involved in all kinds of really shady stuff? How quickly does that unspool, right? And so that you know, when you start digging in to uh, you know, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how these organizations actually work, and they don't just get to be this you know uh, you know this face that shows up every once in a while and says that guy's bad, destroy him in public, and then run away again. When these people are exposed like that, I think that you will have, you know, kind of kind of a, an alternative form of pressure that can kind of bring that back. But without that dedication, without, I think, people willing to put together these type of organizations, you're never going to get any kind of pushback. And, and you know, organ, organizations will be necessary. You can't just rely on a, the random a lawsuit or two from Elon Musk to kind of make this happen. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be real about this. Right. I mean. The, the realistic counter to everything we've been saying, if you are a CEO or chairman of the board of one of these companies is, yeah, you're totally right. But it's also true that my business will be destroyed by these people and we live in a world of mobsters and you have to pay protection. Yeah, what, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. why you want me to fight City Hall? Why would I do that? I'm just going to be destroyed and they're going to destroy me and my business. So. You know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll make do is what a lot of these people think. They, they probably don't agree with what's going on, but I'll survive and I'll play their game and let the commissars and the, you know, HR department and the, the marketing department do their thing. And I'll mouth their mantras and we'll just move on. I'll find other money. So you're absolutely right. It takes it. It, it, uh, it takes reverse pressure in a real way. And Elon, I mean, Elon, in this respect, he's very much there's a similarity between him and Trump, right? They have this uncanny power of asking really obvious questions <laughs> yeah. uh, in front of the entire country to show that the emperor wears no clothes. I mean, you know, it's like Trump going, guys, why, with a bunch of generals in the room, why are we still in NATO? Aren't these like wealthy Western countries who could probably pay their own way in a lot of ways? And what are we, what are we doing there? Oh, 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 how could you ask the question? You're insane. You know, and, and that's what you have going on here. How dare you? Um, but so the question is, is it, is it, um, is it the case that there's enough people like watching and, and thinking about this and talking about it like we are throughout the country saying, hey, will they be inspired by this? And will it, will it lead to, uh, you know, a chain of, uh, of, of effects where people start to take action the way you're describing? And I certainly hope so. I mean, it's invigorating even to me because I, I mean, I just think, yeah, this is the way it is, but you know, it's the way it is. What are you going to do? You need one of these guys to step up and he stepped up and he did it. And I think um, there's a lot of room in conservative nonprofit world. 
uh, in right-leaning media to start doing the work to unpack this stuff because it's interesting and it's it's revolting, but it's like the kind of corruption that's actually kind of interesting because you start to realize this is the way the world really works and you know, a free market of ideas and free speech is, you know, these people, they don't even know what that word means. I mean, they, they their job is to control speech and they do. They do it very effectively, very well. So I think we both agree that in taking this step by Elon is important, but I want to ask you, There's it feels a lot of times with Elon, it's one big step forward but then a bunch of tiny steps back behind the scenes, right? So for instance, Elon will say things like, I'm for freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. And that's uh, honestly the kind of thing that somebody like, uh, you know, uh, Greenblatt over at the ADL has said, right? And he'll, he'll say, oh, well, we're all for, you know, making sure that there's this free of exchange of ideas, but then we'll see that the Twitter terms of service have suddenly been changed to where people who are no longer commercially viable can suddenly be banned. You know, we'll hear about how uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're going to drop the Twitter files and we're going to show all of these uh, ways that the government influenced the last election. But we're also hiring you know, people like uh, Linda, uh, I don't know how you say her name, Yaccarino. And right. you know, we're, we're, we're putting in all of the, we're hiring new people to have, uh, to have an impact on uh, elections and, and watching uh, you know, misinformation and those kind of things. It feels like they're still kind of going through the steps of assembling the uh, censorship uh, network while kind of also putting on a good face for this. And it's kind of like, is that is that him leading with one story and then, you know, complying with the government or in another? Or is he trying to, like, give the, you know, the, the appearance of compliance, but he's actually leading this base revolution? Like, which Elon is real, I guess, is the, is the real question. Yeah, well, um he is, uh, I will say, I've been privileged uh, to meet many of these people. He is one of the few I haven't met, um, and I don't know. Um, uh, I know people, you know, within the, those circles a little bit, but not very well. Uh, but I'll give you my instinct on it. My instinct is actually, until proven otherwise with Elon, he's someone who I think is on a journey. You're seeing it in real time. He, the good thing about him is just like Trump, he doesn't care about what everyone else thinks. Um, and uh, I think I kind of think something like Trump that the problem is that he's not surrounded by a ton of lieutenants or others who even get what he's talking about. Um, and I think that, you know, it's almost like every time he speaks, um, the, the space opened up by his words and his, within his own company is just an influx of, you know, your typical blue state Ivy League, you know, smarty who thinks the wrong way about these things. It doesn't exonerate him. Um, but I do think there's a little bit of, you know, one guy can't run all these companies um, and he gets interested in something and I'll say something and he means it. But in execution on it, you know, his attention is all over the place. Any one of these companies would be more than a full-time job for most people. So he's got to rely in, in execution. Forget about media for a minute. Let's just talk about, you know, how organizations are run. Uh, he's got to rely on execution on, for a lot of, on a lot of other people. So that would be the, the nice version. Um, the other version would be he's also um, the other explanation, which I think is compatible and in between you know, he's a fake and he's uh, he's based or whatever, 
In between is he's navigating for his own self-interest, and he sees that both sides uh, right? Uh, and he he is playing a longer game for purposes that um, whether it's for the sake of SpaceX or whatever else. Uh, and, uh, you know, he is sort of playing both sides, but he's not really on either side, right? He's on Elon's side. Mm-hmm. All right, that's plausible, too. Uh, I think that that's very plausible. Uh, and maybe some mixture of that and some mixture of him kind of realizing, like, wait a minute, you know, this is all BS. Um, and then being coy with that sometimes and sometimes being naively, you know, innocent and eye-opening and being uh, enough of a spurg where he doesn't care and rich enough where he doesn't care. Um, and having these, the goals he does care about, if we take him at his word, are promoting humanity, right? Uh, human beings uh, lasting on. He does seem to care about that. I mean, I don't think SpaceX was just about his own, uh, you know, self-interest or his own self-interest is more tied to the glory of that travel. I think he really believes in that stuff. Uh, so anyway, they're, they're, although I, 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 I'm in that realm to explain him uh, rather than, you know, I have friends who say no. Uh, he's a bad actor, right? He actually is sort of lying about this stuff. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I cannot believe the amazing, I mean, this week is a good example. I don't even care, to, to be honest with you, Aaron. I, I mean, to me, if he's going to say this stuff and expose this about the ADL, I mean, I'm just kind of like, great. If he's, if he's faking it, then let him fake it that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Keep Make it till you make it, man. Keep yeah. going. That's great. Uh, and 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 what's the worst case scenario there that he wants to, uh, you know, uh, the thing the, the thing is, I I don't think you can be Elon and be secretly like for a lot of the principles that the Borg is for, the ruling class is for. You can't say the woke mind virus, and we're never going to get to Mars if the wokeness wins, uh, and actually be secretly part of that. So he might be on Elon's side, as everyone is, as self-interest on their own side. Uh, but I, I, I kind of, I'm more inclined to take him at his word than not. Although, of course, uh, you know, I don't think he has a fixed. I think he's, he's a man on a journey, you know. And and I can't take him. I don't. I, he's not my, you know, total hero. I don't totally trust him, uh, or even see him as on my side if there are sides anymore. Uh, but I, so I don't. Th- I think we should calm down on the hate a little bit, though. And, uh, and and more to me, it's more interesting to like we should talk more with Elon, right? Um, and Republicans and people on the right should certainly be learning from his example and from what he's exposing. And my question over and over again is, why did it take Elon Musk to say all these things that are immensely popular and obvious, and no one on the right could say them, even though they claim that this is where they ideologically stand? If he can do it and you think he's a faker, like you said, like you said, exactly. Great. Then let's have more fakers out there. Yeah. And that's the thing I think people really need to grasp. I think that last part is really important. I understand a lot of people don't like Trump. They think he betrayed him. They, they think that he was whatever. But the thing they need to understand about Trump, the thing they need to grasp about our moment we're in now is that both Trump and Elon matter. Because even if they didn't mean what they said, I think I don't think Trump meant some of what he said. He, they said it because the because they had the ability to do it, and we're at the like you, you make a really good point that a lot of these people who are paid to say this stuff 
a lot of people yeah. who are supposed to be key to this movement are terrified to actually tell the truth, actually say what matters. They're frozen. They might ideologically check all of your boxes. They might have all the right positions on certain things in theory, but in practice, they won't say what they need to out loud. They won't take the actions they need to out loud. And these people will. And so standing around and hoping that guys like Trump or Elon are like perfectly ideologically aligned with you and yeah. saying, I don't, I'm not going to give them any credit or I'm not going to push the same direction as they are until they've hit every single one of my boxes is foolish. Now, I think there's another side of that where you don't pretend they're your messiah. You don't pretend like they're, they're hundred percent on your side. You don't give them your right. full trust and everything. But I think it's really important important for people to understand like the value of people breaking and shattering like the the edges of the overton window is way more important than someone hitting all your check boxes but sitting very safely and squarely inside the box yeah i think that's that's really well said and and um let me give an example with elon where you can go either way it's my my cocktail party example because after all that's why we do what we do right to go to cocktail parties i think <laughs> I've, i don't haven't been to one yet <laughs> Uh, there's not as many in Dallas, I don't think. As there are yeah, in I don't know. Maybe I'm just not getting the cool kids' invitations. I don't <laughs> know. Uh, so, so Elon has Neuralink as one of his, uh, you know, one of his handful of companies. Which, uh, you know, I mean, let's just literally talking about putting a chip in your brain, like you know, connect to the matrix um, to increase brain power. And the way it's starting is, it's already well since begun, is to but this is what they say, right? We're going to help people who are brain damaged uh, with technology, connecting digital technology to their brains, um, starting with uh, with uh, monkeys. Uh, and we're going to see if we can help people uh, ultimately through this testing um, who have been damaged recover brain func function. And, you know, you can look at that. And I certainly my instinct is to say, Oh my gosh, you know, we're in a high five, we're in a sci-fi horror movie already. Uh, let's stop the experiment. On the other hand, I don't think it's implausible given what we know that there could be good done there. Uh, and Elon's case is, of course, if it works, we've, A, we first off, right off the bat, we help people uh, who ha are, are disabled in some way. And secondly, he's thinking I, AI is going to ultimately overtake us unless human beings, right, can keep up with artificial intelligence. I think he truly means that. But I have to admit, as some of my friends would say, that's exactly what you would tell people if you wanted to convince them to put chips in their brains. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like that back and forth is, you know, you, you see all over in Elon discourse, you know, whether he's good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I think you should just launch a Butlerian Jihad at that point. I don't think this technology should exist at all. But, but you know, but I wanted to ask you one more thing uh, before we wrap up, though. You mentioned personal interest and SpaceX. And I was one of many people who noticed that, like, after SpaceX got threatened with this, uh, you know, uh, government action lawsuit over not hiring illegal immigrants or something, uh, which is an amazing thing. But here we are. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. when they got threatened with this, all of a sudden we started to see like announced changes on the platform and, and on, on Twitter, you know, things that the government had wanted. And a lot of people say, okay, so Elon is really bought in, you know, obviously SpaceX and other parts of his business are highly dependent on government contracts on being part of the deep state to some extent. 
and obviously you know the the government leans on him for things like starlink in ukraine and that kind of stuff and so the question is how dependent is elon on the government and how dependent is the government on elon and is there a way to even wield power without being part of the deep state like does elon's ties to government contracts and things make him a liability do they give him power is it just a reality of of a guy of kind of great man wielding power in our current scenario like what what is that what does that relationship between him and the state mean when it comes to him being able to like make decisions and fight back against censorship and other things that the government might, might want to apply? The reason I love that question is because to ask that question spreads awareness about the, the system that we're in. The fact that we have to ask that question, right, tells us a lot. And I think the answer to it is very unclear. I mean, uh, you remember early on um, or earlier on in Elon's career, as routine for the right to say this guy got all his money from government contracts and government money uh, or is dependent upon China. Uh, it doesn't say a lot bad about China uh, very often for someone who talks about free speech, for instance. And that's sort of a was a was a sort of normicon thing to say for a long time. Um, I think it's 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 certainly true that. Elon is one of the only figures in the world who can potentially compete with or has possibly some power to leverage against uh, what we call the deep state, the administrative state, the permanent government um, that, that sort of has the technology that, that rules the world. So, um, you know, he's, he's unique in that uh, he potentially could have leverage. And, and so my first thought, for instance, about Twitter and everything else was that they would never let him buy Twitter. Like it wouldn't happen right. because they would threaten what he really wants, which is to put people on Mars and to perpetuate humanity. I mean, you know, he's got all kinds of transhumanist ideas that I find uh, despicable. But overall, I, I approve of his message because his message is that humanity must live on and that having children is good. He's a natalist. He sees that the world could be depleted uh, and, and destroyed and that human life is good. I mean, go forth and multiply. He's for it. So, so I thought his real love would be, you know, SpaceX and the, the, the you know, the, to paraphrase, like to make a cartoon of the message of the administrative state would be, okay, you know, you want, you want Twitter. We're going to make your life a living hell and you're never going to get to Mars because we don't want you to have this. And, we have, as Charles Schumer would say, six ways from sun to destroy you. Now, you saw moments in the uh, in the news cycle where they got into his personal life a little bit and then it kind of dissipated. I mean, they've they the, after this, like you, you see this, these uh, these movements in the water. You can see the ripples on the surface, but then you see him sort of counterattack or they, they fade away. So they have not like crushed him, I, I, you know, in any way. Um, but. Are there implicit or explicit deals behind scene? Um, at least implicitly, yes, there has to be, because he is inextricably tied, uh, you know, uh, to to uh, to the administrative state and to uh, the United States uh, government in many ways. Now, the thing about that is, I look at it as this: of course, his interests are are tied up with the the administrative state. But uh, the difference is, as opposed to everyone else, he is one man, not Boeing, right? Not a large Byzantine bureaucracy. And 
uh, he can leverage what he has against them. I mean, that's the thing with Starlink, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is he using that in Ukraine? Right. But there just came a report that maybe he turned it off or didn't allow it to be used in an attack, in his words, that would have destroyed the entire uh, Russian Navy, right? I mean, so so he, in other words, he's, he, he has the power to say, well, do you, wanna, you want your people to talk to each other? I'm letting you do it, right? And, and an even bigger one, which is, do you want to go to space? Because I still do that. I'm not sure uh, how much and how well you can, right? Uh, so, so, so that's the um, the really unbelievable uh, power that he has, and it's almost as if he if he wants to stay outside of the control of the Borg, he's going to have to barter and dicker and deal with it and fight it. Uh, but he's always going to have to have a technological leg up. Uh, or something that they want in order to stay just outside of its reach. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that stops, then all of a sudden, you know, he's in trouble and all he's got is money, but there's a lot of ways to deal with money. And, and so I, I don't think, you know, they might be locked together, a little Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty falling down the cliff, but it's not as if he doesn't have cards in his hands as well. No, that's a good point. He's got to maintain that utility to the regime. He's got to have something that that's over them at all times to to kind of stay ahead of uh, any possibility that they could compromise them. Uh, we do have one chat from the uh, audience real quick. We'll grab that here before we go. Uh, Thugo here for $7. Thank you very much, sir. Coordinated attack on Musk today for not enabling Starlink for the UKR attack on Crimea comes right after the ADL issues. Yeah, again, you always wonder how much of this, uh, of course, you know that the government has, you know, had these backs and forth with him about Starlink. And so, you know, how much of this is tied directly? How much was this was already in the pipeline? It was going to come up any, but anyway, it's always hard to untangle these in the moment. That That's the difficulty. And, and, and you know, uh, like Matthew said, that's why you want to have someone investigating stuff. You want to have people looking into this, being able to keep these facts separate, understand where influence is coming from, who's applying pressure, so that when questions like this come up, you can say, okay, well, we've got some indication that there might have been pressure here. We have some investors who might have been interested in this move. We might have had some people in the government who wanted to, you know, you have that option. But because our our current media is, of course, deeply uninterested in asking any of those questions, we don't know. And the only thing left to do is speculate. And that's that's what's so frustrating for, I think, many people who are enemies of you know kind of what's going on here who disagree with what's going on here is there's there's no kind of legitimate uh, consensus manufacturing apparatus that can present a narrative that opposes the regime everything just kind of falls into this weird gray conspiracy theory area because uh, no no one who's supposed to in theory have the authority to look at this stuff spends the time doing it because they're all interested in sweeping it under the rug mm-hmm. no i think that's true and i mean uh i think that uh I do think you can see this again, like ripples in the water. Like you say, the timing, you can't tell, but clearly there's a back and forth going on, Elon versus the regime. I mean, that's happening uh, and how it plays out, we don't know. Uh, And really what we have to do, what I have to do at at Blaze and other entities like it is try, uh, you know, it's it's an enormous task, but to try to build um, a a media apparatus that that really starts to, to pick at some of this. Uh, and it's it's incredibly difficult, and you have to be extremely careful, frankly, uh, because of the environment in which we're in. But you know, discussions like this are helpful, and then 
there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of real grunt work that needs to be done to move to the place where uh, we can really create an alternative media apparatus. And, you know, you'll know you're successful <laughs> if they are trying to shut you down, uh, which, right. will, which will inevitably happen. And we all know it. So here we are. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. But thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate everybody who stopped by. Uh, make sure, of course, if this is your first time on the channel to go ahead and subscribe. And if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure you check out the Orrin McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for watching, guys. And as always, we'll talk to you next time.